Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? Oh, it's a glorious, glorious Monday. We got Jakey here on the podcast, and he finally got his final payback for uh, a few practical jokes he paid on me. It's not a payback. Like, it's it's a birthday present. It's a birthday it's present. It's a perfect timing for a birthday present. It was very good timing. <laughs> so, Jake, uh, yeah, you're back by popular demand. I mean, the people basically threatened to boycott the podcast. We didn't get you back. So, glad to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, people may have heard about your your Kodiak trip, which was birthday present part one. But I guess yeah, we didn't we didn't even know it was going to work out like this. But tell us about your second birthday present from Steve. Oh man, um, yeah, <laughs> found a surprise hanging in the back of my truck. I was out uh, shed hunting with my coworker Pat and, a, and another friend Nate from First Light. We were out shed hunting this weekend, and uh, I forget what I was doing. I think I was unloading the truck, and I have a. I have my death hike pack, like one of our prototype packs, just chilling in the back of my truck all the time, just, you know, in case we need to, you know, go on a hike or something, I'm, I'm ready to go. So I, I pull it out and I feel something squishy in there. And I'm like, what is that? So I just don't even think about it. And I start loading up the truck again. And then I finally open the pack and I look inside and it's squishy. Like it's a Panda Express bag. <laughs> and I'm like, I sn- first thing I do, man, I sniff it. And I'm like, oh, nasty. And so I start, I, I show Pat and he loses it, man. I'm like, Steve put a freaking diaper in my backpack, man. So anyways, yeah, I was surprised to a diaper cooking in there since December. Um, <laughs> what uh, in the world? How would you not touch that pack or found that since I December? <laughs> Come on, Jakey. I don't know, man. I guess Steve's been trying to put a diaper in the back of my truck for a while now, but I've been locking my, I locked the shell and the, um, oh, what's the, word? the this hitch, goes yeah. back like a legit <laughs> to like every time I'd have my daughter and my son at the shop and they'd, you know, like if I'm, my wife was doing something I had there and they had a freaking poopy diaper, I'd like literally like go run out to Jake's truck. Like I, I wanted to grump your old man. I'm like where the guy puts a dead fish <laughs> in the back of it and tuck a dip poopy diaper under the seat of his truck. Oh. It was always locked. Like I was like, like, come on, Jake, we don't freaking live in LA here. Like we're like, you can't lock your truck this consistently. Now you know why legit, I locked my like, truck. <laughs> like legit for two years I've been trying to do it. And back in December, my son was at the office, like had just this horrid freaking diaper where you're like gagging trying to change it and uh i was like i'm gonna try one more time <laughs> of course the truck's locked but somehow the bed of his truck the camper shell is unlocked and i open it up and i see the backpack in there and i was like oh that's freaking perfect so I jump in there and throw this diaper in the in the in his pack and this was like december 15th and i'm oh like literally gosh. like you know i'm thinking like all right jake's got to use his pack once a week or something right like uh, it won't take long for him to find this. And it just kept like uh, December happened, January happened, March, February happened. <laughs> like, what? I just kept thinking, like, this thing has got to be so freaking horrid, stinky oh, it, in there. Could like, you imagine if it were the summer, like <laughs> oh. heat? I mean, your truck, your whole truck would have just been uh, rank. Oh my gosh, man. It was, it was uh, gnarly. Yeah. So needless to say, when I got the text yesterday of you holding the poopy diaper in your hand, I, I was basically was hilarious. Uh, he goes, okay, when did you put this diaper in Jake's pack? Because he just found it this morning. And Steve and Mark are both dying over text. Oh, <laughs> oh man. man. <laughs> uh, it was a glorious birthday present. Could have been better timing. That's for sure. Oh, man. 
It was good. We're, was we're good. even now for the couple jokes that you played a couple years ago. So. All right. So for all the people who heard Steve give Jake a trip for his hunt, <laughs> here is here's Steve's true side. <laughs> man. Oh man, it's good times. It was funny. That's dude. You just need to use your pack more. That's all there is to it. Well, that's that's that, what I'm saying is that's like my emergency pack. Like I use that for the death hike, and then I I have another one. That's like. You know, it's my, uh, my go bag, you know, it's yeah. if something happens. You just, <laughs> no, and, it's and Steve's no, kids go bag. That's where they go. Totally, man. Dude, you open yeah. that zipper and it reeked, man. And it's still in the back of my truck. Like I threw away the diaper, but that bag smells so bad. It is horrendous. Oh, uh, I think we went like snowshoe training like a few weeks back. I'm like, all right, today's the freaking day. Jake's going to finally find it. <laughs> then you bust out that Ranger green pack and like son of a bitch how long is this gonna take uh, that was awesome yeah it was good still perfect timing that's funny man yeah so jake your birthday's tomorrow right birthday's tomorrow yeah big two yeah. one well happy birthday man thank you thank you i'm that's excited awesome. we're gonna I think we're doing like a nice party tonight it'll be fun here at the office yeah bummed you can't make it but yeah it's gonna be a blast yeah Steve, you mentioned death hike training. You went on a pretty solid hike on Friday just to kind of test things out and get a better feel because obviously the the death hike's coming super fast. What's any takeaways from that? Uh, yeah, we, I mean, we haven't got a lot, uh, near as many miles as I want on the snowshoes. You know, I've been doing plenty of training with with hiking and biking, um, you know, on, on dry ground, but getting the snowshoes on, you know, just because it takes an hour to drive up to get anywhere where you're going to have, you know, a significant amount of snow to do it. Um yeah, I mean, I think that we did learn, you know, those three of us, two, Chris and Justin, were both cramping um, pretty bad, like halfway through the hike. And I, I just think the, um, you know, kind of a u- unique combination of working really hard um, while you're snowshoeing and that kind of extra, I think there's something going on there with working your muscles differently just in the snow, right? Like you're just hitting muscles you probably don't normally hit. Um, so both those guys were cramping. Uh, you're also wearing extra layers. So you're just sweating more, right? Cause you're still like the, uh, energy expenditure is still really high as if you didn't have snowshoes on and it was 70 degrees outside, but it's 30 degrees. Um, so managing sweat and then cramping, um, definitely salt tablets are going to be pretty key to it. And then there's that interesting, you, you need to take breaks, but it's so cold that you really can't stop for too long cause you're soaked in sweat. Um, and I just don't know how you, I think it's unavoidable. You can't, move so slow that you don't sweat um but also the second you stop and um you get cold like we took like a 30 minute break i was kind of experimenting with melting snow and by the time we got it got going again i was took like a good 15 minutes of hiking straight uphill to like get feeling back in my fingers and um so managing that's going to be definitely interesting i definitely I, i was hiking with thin wool gloves and i just had taken them off and set them on my pack on the ground and definitely learned i'm just gonna take those off and then stick them like next to my skin um because those things were basically frozen stiff by the time uh i put them back on um so yeah it's just gonna be a lot of you know going back to like the 100 mile hikes where there's a lot of managing that you have to do um you can't just forget about your feet and not change out your socks even if you know even if you don't think about it um you got to um uh, or you don't think you need it, you, you, you're way better off to change out your socks. It's paying the butt to, you know, take your shoes off, swap out socks, put the old socks on the back of your pack so they dry out. But it's going to take a lot of that uh, to get into the hike, just just managing hydration, making sure we're 
constantly <clears throat> popping salt tablets. Um, it's just going to be interesting, man. It's going to be tough. So, um, yeah, we learned, I mean, we just did six and a quarter miles and like 3,300 feet of climbing. And that was, that was a good day. Um, so I haven't followed up with Justin and Chris to see how they did the next day, but it's like, yeah. are you guys sore or you could have done another day over again. So, but basically that's half of, you know, we're probably going to be averaging at least 12 miles a day. Um, so it's kind of half of a day right there and it's a good workout. Um, trying to think. Yeah. And then just water is, uh, is going to be a big unknown. Like, are we going to be constantly melting snow? We're going to come across enough creeks that you can kind of do stuff. Um, just prior to the podcast jumping on, I mentioned that, like, I think um, I don't use a Steri pin, but I actually think in this setting, you just have an algae on the side of the pack. And you, whenever you find a little, <coughs> excuse me, you know, you're going across a little ravine and there's a tiny little Creek in there. That's just melted snow, you know, scoop that up in the Nalgene and, um, and then uh, you can just filter it later with the UV filter or something like that. I think that's going to be a good way to make it easy to stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool, man. I'm excited. It's uh, it's coming quick, and yeah, that's what's fun is not just the the physicality of it, but just honestly working through all those little things and managing stuff and learning yeah. lessons. Right, we're all going to yeah. learn something from it. Yeah, you're gonna if you don't pay attention to stuff, you could put yourself in a bad spot between hydration and, and getting really really cold. So the, that the second you stop getting a puffy jacket on and um, just, you just got to be thinking through stuff and it, it gets hard once you're like, you know, halfway through day two and physically exhausted Tired and, and yeah. you just got to have that kind of mental discipline to, to just make sure you stay on top of that. Otherwise I think it could get, uh, get pretty bad. I think I'm going to have like designated like people in the group that are like the hydration person, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, you've been drinking, you've been drinking, you've been drinking, you take your salt tablets, like just to keep, um, cause it just takes one guy to, to stop paying attention to that and not take a salt tablet for an entire day or something, you know, or a morning. And all of a sudden he's cramping. And then the whole group is like waiting for that dude or can't move. Cause that other dude's cramping so much. So, mm. um, yeah, definitely gonna be a team effort. Get out of it. Did you, did you find that the rain pants are the way to go? I don't know what, Mar- uh, yeah, just like this. Yeah, they didn't wear them. Um, I don't know yet. I, I want to do the I do the hike again this weekend. Probably the exact same hike. It was, uh, you know, good, good test. Uh, and I'll probably do it in something lighter like Pranas. Um, having the ability to have the, you know, I was basically doing rain pants with them zipped all the way down to the knee, and then wearing uh, these like mesh long johns that I have. Um, Steve's and, fish nuts. Just yeah, say it, Steve. They're freaking fish awesome. <laughs> um, and it worked good. I, they like one of the times we were hiking a ridge and the sun was hitting me and there was no wind. It was like, Ooh, these things are hot. Um, even with the zips all the way, the side zips all the way down to my knees. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. It's you, you're not, uh, it's not like we're getting super wet. Um, I think it was just that 33. I think it'd, it'd be different if it was 50 and the top of the snow was just melting. And you know, this was like 30 degrees, 30, it was like between 28 and 33 when we were up there. And, um, everything stayed pretty dry. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do like your idea with the rain pants that way you, you get done hiking for a break and you can just plop down and, right. and not worry about having to take yeah. stuff out of your pack and throw it. Yeah. In. The, you know, the alternative is you're going to, you would, if you don't have rain pants, you're going to absolutely want to have like a sitting pad strapped to the outside of your pack. So you, if you want to stop, you got to unclip your pack, take it off, set it down, grab the sitting pad out and then yeah. pull that out. Um, which isn't, you know, a big deal, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't 
haven't figured that one out exactly what I'm going to wear. So, yeah. Well, to, to dive into some listener questions, we had some archery related stuff. Um, and before we get into that, Jake just was having you on here made me think the other day we were just chatting informally and you were talking about you went to a bow shoot i think it's been a few weeks ago now and you were talking about making some changes to your bow setup yeah um and so i was just kind of curious why and what and just kind of talk through that for listeners because uh some of what you're chatting about was definitely relevant in there and just honestly what you've learned and changes and equipment and things like that yeah 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 so i was originally shooting uh spot hog hogfather double pin um, and so that was like the biggest change I think was moving from that to the new back, uh, or the new black gold SNS pro site, I think it, or the Backcountry hunter pro site. Uh, the biggest reason why I changed from that was, uh, weight, you know, I think Steve, Steve and Mark have talked, you guys have talked about this a couple of times about just that spot hog kind of being pretty overbuilt and it really wasn't my cup of tea. Every time I came to full draw, it was like, I was kind of battling, um, having to lift that bow up even more and I wasn't getting a good, um, anchor point. It was just, it was just a constant battle. So I switched over to a three pin slider, um, by black gold and yeah, I mean, it cut a lot of weight and then I was having some issues with my, uh, cable driven rest. So I switched to the Hamsky Trinity or Hamsky. Yeah. One of those, uh, limb driven rests too. And, and, works great as well. So those are the two biggest, biggest changes, but I'm really stoked to, I haven't put much effort into shooting more, um, since I was supposed to go to the archery shoot this weekend, but the plans changed to go shed hunting. So I kind of put that on hold, but yeah, I'm stoked to see what that, you know, cause I kind of battled with tar- target panic and, and pin clutter. That's why I switched back to a dump, double pin. I, I originally had a five pin that's, um, that I picked up from Steve actually. And I don't know if, if it affected you guys that much, but pin clutter always got me. That's why I switched to the double pin. Uh, and then, you know, now looking at the three pin, it's like, oh man, I feel like I can, I can do a lot of damage with that. It's not, you know, those two extra pins um, that aren't there makes it, makes it do it, makes it worthwhile. I think that three pin will, you know, be great. Have it set mm-hmm. up at 30, 40, 50, something like that. Yeah. So what- what did you not like about a five pin? Like when you say pin clutter, was that just preference on sight picture or did you feel like there was anything related to your target panic with that? Yeah. Every, when I came full draw with five pin, I, my eyes would kind of make everything blurry. I'd, I'd think about it too much and, um, you know, like drawn back on a archery target, like a foam target. It, I just couldn't, couldn't pick out which pin to use for some reason. Like I would just, you know, have an issue with getting it settled and, and not having a crisp, clear picture. Uh, so doing some, you know, just shooting in the back of my yard, uh, with that three pin, it, it, you can really tell the difference between the first, second and third one, you know, five pin just isn't for me, I guess. And I'm really loving the, the three pin, but the one thing I missed about the five pin was, you know, being able to, you know, just have a set of fixed pins, but then also having the ability to adjust it. Um, and I mean, you could still technically do that with the double pin since you do have two, you know, yardages set out. Um, but yeah, anyways, I think this is a, this is the better route for, for me personally. Um, I mean, I did, you know, shoot, shoot my moose with the uh, double pin. It worked great. I was able to, to dial in, you know, those moose aren't really skittish at all. So you do have some time to dial, but I think, you know, in that situation where an elk comes running in and, 
you know, I, I, you can still kind of guess with a double pin, you know, raise your pin up or, or aim a little bit higher if he's, you know, X amount of yards away, but I think this three pin will work great. And yeah, I'm stoked to stoked to put it, put it to use even more. Cool. Nice. Well, yeah, we had a couple questions on, um, well, this first one's kind of on a practice with archery. Um, and obviously it's that time of year where things are thawing out more and more guys are getting out and shooting their bows, which is awesome. But this guy wrote in and said, do you guys shoot for groups or shoot for spots when practicing and training? By that, I mean, if you're at 40 yards, are you grouping arrows or are you sending one arrow at each dot on your target? Um, thoughts there, Steve, on just anything, uh, either direct to that question, how you do it, or just general your practice routine and how you tend to break that down if you're just shooting targets. Yeah, um, if I am sighting in, right, I'm shooting for groups. And then once I'm sighted in, so I've got all my, you know, my, my pins run five pins, about 30 to 70 yards. Um, once I know all my pins are exactly dialed in and, and, and perfect, then I pretty much stop shooting groups. Um, and I kind of switch over to a little bit of, um, really just kind of treat it like one arrow at a time. I like to have that. Uh, one of my favorite things is I'll just shoot instead of just standing at 70 and shooting, you know, 20 arrows, I'll, I'll shoot one arrow at 70, one arrow at 60, one arrow at 50. Um, I like to do this, um, Definitely, I guess another thing too is I immediately once I'm sighted in, I switch to shooting a 3D target, um, getting getting used to holding on an animal, um, and then I, the, my favorite practice to do is outside of 3D shoots would be if I go camping with the family, I'll I'll take the deer target up or whatever, and I'll just go you know plop it out there in the woods and then just kind of shoot around it, shoot it at different angles, uh, and I think that's way 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 better practice than just going to a range with marked yardage and shooting an orange dot um and like i said i do like this like basically you know you give a 110 percent effort into every arrow you don't ever let one kind of just like oh you know i just like don't get in the routine of just drawing back and, and shooting without like focusing on the shot and making a good execution um so i find that's way better practice for me and prepping for shooting at an animal you know when it comes time to hunting season yeah that's good yeah i'm kind of similar um obviously shooting groups and dialing stuff in but once i'm set up then i just like to do a lot of variety um and for me i typically break that up throughout the day ideally uh, which is easier for me because i work from home so i can randomly like before work lunchtime after work just go out and shoot three arrows right um at my house i can only shoot to 45 but what i'll typically do is just go out and without too much thoughts walk to a spot and then turn around and just kind to try and judge that so i may be at 37 i may be at 24 i may be at 43 and literally just on that shot as you said steve like focus on that shot and then maybe shoot you know walk to a different spot and end up shooting three five arrows um, and then just do that multiple times a day at, at different times and all that and obviously is you get closer to season, you can mix that in. Um, you can start doing holds and working up that and kneeling and, you know, make it more realistic. But I guess directly to answer this guy's question, I'm pretty similar to you, Steven, shooting for groups while you're really working on the bow is when I'm shooting for groups. So that may be dialing in a new rest or just a new bow in general. But if I'm 
If I'm working on equipment, I'm often shooting for groups, but when I'm shooting for myself and for my training and my shot routine and all that, I'm typically not shooting for groups. So Jake is, uh, anything that stand out for that? Uh, yeah, you guys nailed it right on the head. You know, whenever, yeah, whenever you want to sight in shoot groups and then when it's time to you know, get things ready, start kneeling, sitting down, shooting in uncomfortable situations to, you know, really prep for the season once you're all sighted in. Cool. Um, another one that came through was just on pin float in general with archery and really just chatting through what amount of pin float is natural and do you fight the float? Um, definitely an interesting question there. I mean, the amount of float is natural. I don't, I don't know that there's a right way to answer that question. Like you're going to have some pin movement and based on honestly your bow setup and then even the conditions that can be higher or lower, right? So you could have more pin float in windy conditions. You could have more pin float with a higher heart rate. You could have more pin float when you're just tired. There's all kinds of variables to that in terms of what amount is acceptable. Um, it's really, I think through that kind of like the same way you're shooting with a rifle from an unsupported position or a field support position of is your pen essentially floating within your effective kill zone, right? So yes, you may be floating two, three inches, but is that acceptable to you? Um, is your pen floating within your quote unquote bullseye, right? Um, in terms of fighting the float, I think that's where things start to get tricky <laughs> to me when I hear fight the float, that's like target panic inducing because you're trying to fight it. Um, that said, I think there's things you can do to minimize it. Um, but I think fighting it maybe is a, and maybe we're just picking up words here, but like, to me, that sounds like a bad idea, but saying minimize the pen float or things you can do there, maybe with bow balance and things like that, uh, to minimize pen float. Yeah. If I can jump in real quick, I like, that was one of the biggest things for me when I just transitioned over, uh, having so much weight on the, on the front was, was causing, you know, a lot more pin float. So I think for me, you know, Steve warned me doing this, like I wouldn't do it. You know, that's too much weight, man. That's, that's a lot of weight, you know, and it, it, it really was. So. <laughs> Someday Jake, you'll, you'll learn that I'm always right. So right. Just, <laughs> take my advice. <laughs> no, exactly. So, uh, if, if somebody's battling with that, you know, I'm no archery expert whatsoever, but I know for my, uh, you know, experience, that was a big, big issue was having that side out there and, and that 10 inch stabilizer out there, it really, you know, um, had a lot to do with all that pin flow. And so bringing that back in, so, you know, you still have that normal pin flow, but it's not as much was where you're just constantly battling it 24 seven. So that's my, my two cents. Steve, a wise one who is right in all thine ways. <laughs> what would you add to that? Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's a, I, had, I had an interesting thing that took me, um, you know, when I was shooting a lot uh, five to 10 years ago. Um, I would consistently shoot better groups at like, say, 60 and 70 than I would at that 50 range. Mm -hmm. um, and what I observed was at 50, I still felt like I had the ability to, like, say, I was shooting an orange dot to kind of force the pin to sit on the dot. Um, and then once I got to 70, you just can't do that anymore, right? There's just so much, there's gonna be pin flow. And so there was like something that triggered in my brain 
to like, oh, okay, I can't hold the pin exactly where I want to hit. So I kind of have to let go of that control, right? And be okay with pin float and then just focus more on executing a really good shot. Um, and once I kind of figured that out and then translate that into to shorter groups, um, you know, I, I just shoot better in general. Um, and so, yeah, you just, you have to, yeah, as you said, Mark, what is the acceptable area that you want to hit? Right. And that's why I like shooting the 3d target as much more so than I like shooting uh, an orange dot. Once I've got everything sighted in is I'm not so focused on hitting the specific point. I'm just trying to hit the kill zone. And so if I, if I got my 3d deer out there at 70 yards, yeah, I'm going to have like five inches of float, you know, it's going to be left, right, up, down, depending on what the wind's doing and stuff like that. But it's just like, okay, I've come to full draw. I've got my form, everything, you know, I've lined up my peep site to my site housing, uh, the check, the level, everything's good. So I kind of go through all those checks first. Um, and then once the pin is in, in the area that I you know want to start squeezing the trigger, then I kind of transition to, okay, time to make the shot happen. And then I just let the pin float and, and, you know, it's, I, I, I want to do some video. I mean, been meaning to video myself of how good am I at squeezing the trigger. Um, but I feel like I, I do a pretty good job of like, okay, time to, time to make the shot happen. And then just start slowly squeezing on the trigger till the, till the bow breaks over and goes. Um, and then you're going to shoot way better groups that way than if you're really trying to fight the float and, and hold that pin on an exact spot. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, an interesting, you know, you just gotta, you can't hold dead steady, you know, like at 20 yards you can. Um, and then every, as you go farther and further out, you just got to accept that that's not a reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Saying that about shooting video, um, it's amazing with iPhones and I'm sure with other phones these days, but that have the slow-mo mode, like how helpful that is to not take a video, but use that slow-mo. Um, it's, I've done that with myself with shooting and you can really see a lot just at that slower pace of when the shot's breaking, what your grip is doing and how you're reacting and what's your follow through look like and all that stuff. It's pretty impressive. Hmm. Yeah. I haven't thought about that. That would be really, yeah. really helpful to do. Yeah. yeah, it is. Cool. We, uh, let's wrap up with this one. We talked last week about, uh, quite a few different meat care options, elk processing, things like that. And one question that came in response to that was anything in particular we do or would advise for taking care of skulls. And so specifically he wrote in and said, have you guys discussed skull care during an extended archery hunt? Do I need to flush it out in the field immediately and remove organs and remove organs and skin? Can I hang it in a tree? If I'm on a nine day hunt and then have a couple days to drive back home, how do I ensure I don't ruin it for a skull mount? And then I just kind of asked him to clarify. I was assuming he was talking about like a Euro mount uh, and he was. So if there's anything special, particular, what have you on skulls, uh, let's throw that out there. I mean, for me, it's, I'm not a taxidermist. I'm sure there's some like very wise and certain things to do. What I do is generally just work on it as you can. So it depends on the context of the hunt. Um, but if you're, you know, you obviously have filled the tag, you have a skull, if you're keeping hunting, uh, with a buddy or something like that, like just when you're back at camp at night or when you can just, yeah, work on it, clean it up, do what you can to get rid of 
um, flesh and hide and eyes and all that stuff with what you may have in camp that may be limited, right? Like there's only so many things you can do and reach with the internals, but essentially I just work on it as time goes. And um, yeah, what he said, hanging it in a tree, that's a good thing. Um, you know, once it starts to dry out, it, some areas are easier to work on when it is a few days old and drying out. So um, yeah, and then he mentioned driving home. One thing to keep in mind just with traveling is look at any sort of restrictions or regulations on transport. Um, so with things like CWD, certain states will have regulations about um, taking skulls out of or bringing into the state from another state, right? And so they want you to have the brain or uh, certain sections removed or I think in some instances inspected. Um, so there can be regulations to keep in mind, but uh, anything else to add to that guys that you do? Mm, yeah, honestly not. No, like we just um, basically kind of in the field there, strip the skull down as, as much as we can. So if, you know, there's a, um, I'm not super great at like caping out the head, turning the lips and everything. Um, so if I, if it's, you know, pretty rare that I'm going to do like a, a full mount like that. Um, but if I do, I just, pack the extra freaking weight and just basically clean everything up to the very base of the skull, the top of the neck, and then just pack it all out. Uh, if I had something I want Euro mount, yeah, then it's, you know, it's pretty simple just to take a, take the knife and start, start peeling the hide off of the skull. Um, trickiest part's going to be just around the antlers, around the bases, just kind of getting in there and working that loose. Um, and then pulling, pulling the lower jaw off, um, takes some time, uh, and it's one of those things you just kind of got to, uh, like figure out how to do it. Cause it, while you're in the process, you think it like, I need a freaking saw to get this off, but really there's ligaments and tendons that kind of hold that lower jaw on that you kind of got to slide the knife up like alongside the skull. It's hard to explain, um, alongside the teeth, like parallel to the, to the skull, get up in there and cut that loose. And you can eventually just rip the, the whole lower jaw off. So, really you're just left with like the eyeballs, which you can get out of there. And then the brain inside, once you're done with all that, the tongue's gone, the lower jaw is gone. Uh, so it's just bone, um, eyeballs and brain and you get the eyeballs out and then the brain, yeah, you just leave in there and it'll dry up and won't cause any issues. And then, yeah, if I was going to do all that and I just hang it up high in a tree and call it good for the rest of the hunt, I guess I wouldn't be too worried about it. Now, maybe, you know, well, no, I wouldn't worry about it regardless of heat because there's nothing. It's not like it's going to spoil. It's just going to get stinky. Yeah, just um, nasty. Yeah. yeah, and then just since he specifically mentioned driving home, obviously when you do just wrap it um, to try and contain smell and any sort of leaking, right? So just double bag it, contractor bag, tape it up, do something like that. Um, yeah, and especially since he's talking in the context of a Euro. I mean, it's much, as you said, Steve, much different combination. Uh, much different process if you're looking at doing a full mount and ears and lips and all that stuff that to me that just leave that to someone who knows what the heck they're really doing because i can pretend to know what i'm doing and just mess it up yeah i haven't i've been shown how to do it a couple times but like when push comes to shove i'm in the field i'm like yeah i don't want to mess this up so like i said it's only been a couple of times that i've been in that scenario yeah Cool. We'll get uh, we'll get cruising on this one, Jake. Thanks for joining us, man. Happy birthday yeah. once again. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing we're not recording this tomorrow. I'll just put it that way. All right. 
Yeah. Hopefully Jake thing. is drooling on the floor of the shop at this point tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Steve doesn't want me to come to work tomorrow. <laughs> oh, heck no. It's your 21st birthday, man. Oh, if you're man. bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 8 a.m., you did something wrong. I did. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, I did have one thing to throw out to the podcast listeners. Bring um, it. Okay. This totally, I don't mean to keep dragging this podcast on, but I'm sitting here in Steve's office just because the door's closed here. And so it's, that's where the microphone is. And I'm looking for those. I know you guys have talked about this on the podcast before, but for those who haven't tried it, those big sir bars are the greatest thing ever. Um, it's the greatest snack food in the world. So I just had to throw that out for people. <laughs> it's so amazing. I'm going to grab one right now to eat. So yeah, get out of my stash, it. dude. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there needs to be about four of those left for me when I show up next week too, Jake. I'll throw, <laughs> I'll throw them in the freezer for you. But anyways, total, yeah, random, but I just had to let people know it's amazing. They're they so delicious. good. They are legit anyways. really good. <laughs> anyways, thanks for having me on, you guys. Appreciate yep. it. You bet, guys. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can contact us by email. Just send that to podcast at xomountaingear.com if you have any sort of question for a future Monday Minute. Uh, And once again, we'll be back on Wednesday with a full-length episode. So if you haven't yet, just hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app to receive those new episodes automatically. We'll talk to you soon.